0: You know, every day you're in the Senate and you hear the Labor Party completely just justifying why they've got to continue opening up new coal and gas mines. And it is just obscene. It really is.
1: That's a Greens Senator for Victoria, Janet Rice. Speaking at Saturday's Stepping Up Together program organised by Robert Patterson. Robert had invited many politicians to come along and speak at the event. But Janet Rice was the only one who showed. Yes, this is the latest episode of Climate Conversations, and I'm your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in Northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The forum, Janet said, was on stolen land, and then she added...
0: We're on stolen land and that we've got to be putting First Nations justice at the heart of everything we do. And there is no climate justice without First Nations justice. So I'm Senator Janet Rice, been a Green Senator for almost 10 years. I was one of the founders of the Greens in 1991 one, not only two, 31 years ago, basically on the back of getting fed up with lobbying the Labor Party and they wouldn't do anything that was, you know, sustainable, progressive, and thought, right, we need to chuck them out and sort of set on this pathway of, of building the Greens. 31 years on, I feel that we're making some progress with 15 members, we've now got 11 senators, four members of the House of Representatives just at the cusp of... Having the pa- the political power that we need, because if we go to the next slide, I mean, all of the stuff that Mark's been talking about, that lots of people have been talking about. There's a lot that we can do from the grassroots, community campaigning, advocating, lobbying. But the reality is, at this moment, at this point in time in 2023, um, those. So-called parties of government, the Labor Party and the Liberal National Parties, are not going to take action. I'm in the Senate, you know. Yeah. Every day you're in the Senate, and you hear the Labor Party completely just justifying why they've got to continue opening up new coal and gas mines, and it is just obscene. It really is, and essentially they won't act um, because. If we, act, if we go back to the previous one. Yeah, the political landscape, as we've already heard. They're captured, totally captured by vested interests. Um, they're in denial. They're basically just hoping that something is going to happen that's going to fix everything, um, and they're not going to take the action required. However, we know that Labor are well-placed to be returned at the next election. Um, and I hope that they that we don't end up with a, a Liberal national government again, surely not. Um, but they don't see us see us Greens as much of a threat. They know that there's a chance that maybe we'll win another couple of seats, but they would actually feel that it's worth, you know, they'll try and defend those seats, but to take the action that would need to be taken in order to sort of outflank us on policy grounds, they're just not gonna take. And they would feel that there is more of a risk of losing their current Labor, Liberal, marginal seats if they did that. Um, we know that Greens and Independents are growing in strength, but we haven't yet got the numbers to actually have the political leverage. We've got balance of power in the Senate, which means we've got some leverage. We we're able to make some small improvements to the safeguard mechanism, um, but not enough. We ma- made, managed to make sure that the safeguard mechanism didn't take us backwards. It meant that our emissions actually, for those affected industries, actually have to fall rather than being able to offset everything. So. That's the current, the current political landscape. So if we then go on to the next one. And so, as I was saying, that Labor won't act. Um, in, there's minimal political pressure for them to do so. And the pressure to not act is so much stronger. Um, uh, there's m- minimal community pressure. Um, We've got a growing climate movement, but basically mainstream Australia isn't applying pressure to Labor to be taking the ambitious climate action that's needed. We've got the media and other influences reinforcing that Labor's done enough, they're doing better than what liberal nationals were doing, so you know, and that's, that's where the competition lies. Labor, as Mark's presentation has already outlined, absolutely connected at the hip with the fossil fuel industry, culturally and economically. Um, and I think the other thing is, is that they really, they have convinced themselves that there's no use in Australia acting. And you know, we're only 1.3% of emissions. China's much bigger. What's the point? And it's the drug dealer's defense. that We may as well just keep on selling our coal and gas to the world. Because if we don't, somebody else will. I'm completely ignoring the fact that you know, we are the biggest exporter of gas in the world, the second biggest exporter of coal. If we actually said we are getting out of exporting our fossil fuels, it would make a huge difference to the amount of, of carbon pollution in the world. Okay. And so effectively, as I said, we've been as a green, you know, my sort of adult life's work has been building the greens to get to the stage that we're on the cusp at the moment of having real political power, having that having that leverage, knowing that a Labor government would not be able to form government without us being there, and they have to get our support. The wonderful power of being in the Senate at the moment, where any legislation, if they haven't got the support of the LibNats, they've got to negotiate with us to get th- things through, is an incredibly powerful position to be in. But it would be 100 times more powerful if we are in that position in the House of Representatives as well. And it doesn't have to be just the Greens, it could be um, with independents as well, anyone that is committed to be taking that action. Then that's gonna give us the real leverage. And once we're in there with that real leverage, the potential of then electing more Greens, more independents, actually breaking down the two-party system is immense. And so, for me, in terms of strategy that we need to be doing at the moment, getting behind winnable campaigns to be getting more Greens, more climate independents elected is probably the, you know, again, I'm biased, but it's the most strategic thing we can be doing at the moment over the next 12 months leading up to the, the next election. Because potentially we could be electing Greens in seats like Wills, Fraser, Cooper, um, McNamara. And we could be electing more climate independents in seats like um, Higgins, for example. These are all absolute, Jagger Jagger, that was the other one that I was was thinking of, all absolutely winnable seats. And so getting behind really well organised, good campaigns in those electorates would potentially mean after the next next election, we would have a position where Greens and climate independents in the lower house would have the balance of power and have real power to actually be making the, the sorts of changes that we need. And then, of course, as part of that, yeah, building community campaign, community power. Because, I mean, I'm a, I've been in the Senate now for almost a decade, as, as I said, but, you know, 30 years of being a, a community um, campaigner, environment and climate campaigner before then, We've got to be doing both of these things. We've got to be doing the 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 grass up, the, the grassroots bottom-up <laughs> um, campaigning at the same time as we are doing the electoral campaigning. And for us as Greens, we need to have the climate movement being really strong, really ambitious, really loud, big troublemakers in order to give us the political power that we need to be negotiating with Labor. So, you know, and really it's... Choosing where you personally feel is where you fit, you know, and whether it's a community campaign, whether it's a political campaign, but being active and being involved. And then the, the final thing, I just had some reflections on the types of campaigns which there we go, Um, so that they're strategic with a clear theory of change so that you actually know and and that you've had your work, you know, have it a bit ground truth by some other people so actually people actually reckon that, yep, you know, this has got a clear pathway to actually achieve change. Um, We have to live with this dissonance that, you know, that it's so urgent what needs to happen we can we are grieving now for the losses that we feel and for the breakdown of 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 the climate breakdown of our life support systems on the planet but making change in a democracy is slow so we've just we've got to live with that and for me personally i think i actually don't think a revolution would get us much further along you know the track which means live, working within our existing parliamentary system and making our democracy work for us which means, yep, it's slow and we keep on doing it and, you know, we never know when the tipping points are going to come that we're going to actually get the change we need. Um, We have to campaign in a way that's personally sustainable to keep, you know, active for a long time because we are unlikely to achieve the changes that we need, sort of, you know, in the next little while. And so, you know, taking the time out that you need, looking after your health getting enough sleep, you know, having fun, all of these things are incredibly important and then in a way that's socially sustainable. So because no one person is going to win this. We all have to be campaigning together as a movement. And so that means that we've got to be looking after and supporting each other, nurturing each other and making sure that we are all, you know, feeling welcomed and in particular, in terms of building our numbers, we've got to be working to engage and involve and welcome other people and a great diversity of people because we need as many people involved in this campaign as possible. So really focusing on that, you know, l- looking after the well-being of the group is incredibly important. And I think that's we're all finished. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Janet. I appreciate your enthusiasm, your commitment and your passion and your willingness to be involved with such things as stepping up together. That wraps up this episode of Climate Conversations. Thank you for your company. It's been great to have you along. Please, if you enjoyed this episode, and I sincerely hope you did, feel free to share with your friends. And I'd love you to share with your friends because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis, what we should be doing, how we should be responding, how we should be talking to others. And beyond that, I urge you to follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be alerted every time I publish a new episode. Also, I'd love to know how you feel about this podcast. So please let me know. Don't hold back. Good or bad, please tell me. And you can contact me via email at i.mclean7 at iCloud.com. So, until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And you take care.